there, I'm Andrea Koppel, and it's time for coffee, the podcast where you get to hear firsthand what the jobs and careers that interest you the most are really like. Hey there, Java junkies. Welcome to another episode of T4C. I am so glad you're along for the ride. And if you like to travel anywhere, then this is the episode for you. It's also for you if you're interested in how you can turn your background in foreign languages or marketing or advertising and communications into a passion project, because my next guest has done just that. But before I introduce you to Stephen Shalowitz, I want to make sure you've signed up for the Java Junkies Journal. That's the weekly newsletter we blast out on Mondays to give you an exclusive overview of the episodes we're going to be dropping that week. And it is super easy to do. Just head over to the Time for Coffee website at time4coffee.org and the sign up box is right there. And if you've got a couple minutes, scroll down to check out the rest of the T4C homepage and you'll see that we've organized all the T4C episodes we've released to date by career. So if you're interested in entrepreneurship, click on that box. Or perhaps it's advertising and marketing or writing or PR or journalism. Whatever your interest, there should be a box for you to click with a bunch of professionals in those careers for you to binge on. And if we're missing a career and a professional you're interested in, then please hit me up on email at Andrea at time the number 4 coffee.org and let me know and I will do my best to line up those guests for you I promise now my friends please grab your mug and take a chug of a delicious caffeinated brew cuz it's time for another caffeinated career conversation and my incredible next guest is Stephen Shalowitz the executive producer and host of the one way ticket show and IsraelCast podcasts, and a former longtime marketing, advertising, and communications professional with Young and Rubicon Advertising, where he logged almost 26 years. With that same firm, by the way, in the Asia-Pacific region and in North America. Stephen, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you caffeinated and ready to go? I am always caffeinated, Andrea, and I'm always ready to go. I have three mugs of coffee behind me today and still a few more left to drink. So definitely caffeinated. Wow. Well, of course, you're always ready to go because you are always on the road. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know, travel is one of my big passions. And when I'm not traveling myself, I love to talk about travel and hear about other people's journeys, and especially to very far flung places. So that's really my beat, something I truly, truly love. Well, I have to say to you, it is such a treat for me to speak with you for so many, many, many reasons. Firstly, you're another podcaster. Absolutely. (laughs) Yes, kindred spirits. And one, I have to say, who is immensely creative, imaginative, and as polished as you are, Stephen. For those of you who haven't yet listened to any of Stephen's podcasts, you are in for a treat. It is also a treat for me to speak with someone who shares my love of travel and my love of Asia, and in particular of China. So here's a spoiler alert. Stephen speaks fluent Mandarin Chinese and started studying it like me 
back in the early 80s as an undergrad at Washington University in St. Louis. I wasn't at Washington University in St. Louis. Stephen was. But before, Stephen, we get into your time in college and learn more about why you studied what you studied and what you're doing now and your wonderful podcast, I'd like to start our caffeinated chat today with the career that you left fairly recently, I might add, in 2016, because you spent almost the entirety of your professional career at Young and Rubicam Advertising. That's absolutely right. I did. What I did was after graduate school, I applied for a Rotary Foundation scholarship and I received one to study at the National University of Singapore. And I did that, and this is a recommendation that I have for your listeners, is that if you want to go to another geography, especially overseas, I would recommend looking into scholarships, fellowships, and so on that will take you to the destinations that you want to go to. So I wanted to get to Asia. I got my Rotary Foundation scholarship. I studied uh, Chinese for another year at the National University of Singapore. And then from there, I started doing my job search through Asia. And I landed a job with Young and Rubicam Advertising in Hong Kong, looking after several China accounts. And I was a newbie, but boy, was I thrown into the deep end on that one. And then from there, I moved on to Beijing, Guangzhou. I had a short time in Vietnam, back to Guangzhou, and then Shanghai, then Singapore, and then I moved back to the U.S. So I really hopscotched around Asia before coming to New York. But I was in New York, and then, like all good things, sometimes, what, what's the expression, Andrea? All good things must come to an end, right? And I was laid off as of 2016. But when I was laid off, I thought, you know what? I had an absolutely wonderful run. There was a budget cut. There were several of us that were laid off. And these things happen. And you just sort of pick up and you figure out what's the next step. So before we get into those next steps that bring us to today, I want to rewind the clock and I want to go back to when you were in Singapore and you were scanning the horizon to find a job where you could presumably use your Chinese, which you had honed at that point, I'm sure, to a shiny gloss. And <laughs> I'm guessing, This man is too polite. I have to say, I could tell even when he said Guangzhou that his (laughs) Chinese was fantastic. Oh, thank you. Very kind. You wanted to use your Chinese language. Yes. And you found this entry level position as an account executive in Hong Kong, which, Mm -hmm. by the way, had not yet returned to Chinese control. So it was still a British colony. Correct. It was 1990. 1990. You were managing the launch in China of Janssen Pharmaceuticals Vermox. It was a worm intestinal killing medication. In other words, the worms that you have in your intestine, because it was a huge issue in China and in many developing countries. And so it landed on the agency's plate and it was sort of a game of tag and you were it. In other words, I was it. But one of the things that I think is instructive, Andrea, is the importance of networking in my getting that first job. Because 
I had never intended on going into advertising in the first place. I was always interested in the larger communications field. In fact, when I was a grad student in D.C., I had actually worked at your former employer, CNN, as an intern in the summer between my first and second year of grad school. And I wanted to do something generally, largely communications related. And I had a former grad school classmate that was working at Burson Marsteller Public Relations in Hong Kong, also looking after China accounts. And I reached out to him. Well, we were very good friends. We were in touch anyway. And he said, I'm going to introduce you to my managers and because they're, they're always looking for good people here. And so I was having conversations with them. And it turns out that his boss was actually running Young and Rubicam China, as well as running Burson Marsteller China. And I had had a whole series of interviews with the folks at Burson Marsteller in PR. And I thought, this is fantastic. This is what I want to do. But I was told in the car when we were coming back from a meeting, the person turned to me who was running Young and Rubicam China and said, well, I think we're going to offer you a job. And I said, doing what? He said, well, in advertising, I want you to meet my subordinate that looks really after the day-to-day operations of China. And I thought, okay. And 15 minutes into the interview, he offered me a job and I took it because I wanted a communications job in China or in Asia, if you will. So it was a total fluke how I got into advertising in China to begin with. But once I started, it was just sort of full steam ahead. And then I proved myself after a few months. And then there was a need for someone in the Beijing office. And so they transferred me to Beijing. And I was there for, let's see, from 91 to 94. And then there was a need for someone in the Guangzhou office to work on Colgate. So I was sent down there. And then there was a need for someone to launch Colgate in Vietnam. So I was sent there to launch Colgate Vietnam and then moved to Shanghai and then Singapore and then New York. So I want to hear more about what you were doing in those various positions. Maybe let's not start with the account executive with the worm medication. How about when you became the account manager and were launching the Mercedes-Benz S-Class in China? What was it that you were doing in that position, Stephen? Can you walk us through for young people who think they might be interested in advertising? What were the responsibilities? What were you juggling as an account manager? Sure. Well, one of the beauties of advertising is that you really have a helicopter approach to a piece of business. I think maybe some of uh, your listeners might be familiar with the show Mad Men. It's nothing like that at all. It's a lot of grunt work. And essentially, when you're an account manager, or really just generally an account person, what you're doing is you are managing the client's communications activities. So the client will have a budget, they will come to you with some communications objectives, and it's the advertising group's responsibility to come out with what are the best vehicles to meet those communications objectives, which then hopefully dovetail into sales objectives and revenue for the particular client. So you're doing everything from meeting with the client, understanding fully the client's business, taking briefs from the client, understanding who their target market is, who's buying their products, understanding their manufacturing, and so on, understanding what the brand stands for as well. I mean, you can have a very high-end brand like X or another low-end brand like Y. I mean, what's the brand's DNA? All of those things you really have to truly understand. And then you develop a communications platform. You develop a series of communication vehicles and creative around those vehicles. Is it a TV commercial? Is it print work? Is it a billboard? Is it, for example, as we did with Mercedes, is it a print campaign? 
campaign, as well as a whole launch, an event launch. So you're managing all of the day-to-day activities, whether it's developing a TV commercial, which we can certainly talk about some of the steps there, or developing a print campaign. It's briefing the creative team because they're the ones that are coming out with the actual creative work, what you see on television or what you see in print. They're the ones that are coming out with that work, but someone has to brief them and someone has to see that what they're creating is within budget or is feasible or is on brand, if you will. Does it represent the client's brand values? And then once that's in order, then you go present to the client. There's usually a lot of back and forth. There's a lot of revision involved. And then finally, you produce the actual material. And then the material has to run in media. So it's the account manager's responsibility to brief the media department on, again, the objectives that the client has, the client's budget, who the target audience is, and then through scientific means, they will come out with a media plan and then the creative ultimately runs in that media. Of course, the account manager is responsible for tracking the advertising, for tracking the media, and then also for all of the budgetary angles that go around this, whether it's making sure that vendors get paid or that the agency gets paid for the work that they've done. So everything that you've laid out, Stephen, could apply to any advertising campaign in this country. Absolutely. It's universal. What you've just laid out (laughs) had a much higher degree of difficulty because in this case, you were working for and with clients who had non-Chinese products or merchandise in a country that had different cultures from the ones from which these products came from. Can you walk us through how you apply your expertise that you gathered as an undergraduate and then through various, whether it was fellowships or master's degrees or junior year abroad study, then took those soft skills and in some instances, hard skills and did your magic? Wow, that's a great question, Andrea. (laughs) I hope I can answer it. One thing that I think education should do is to open up one's mind and to teach one discipline. And for me, I took certainly the knowledge that I acquired about China and the Chinese consumer, and I applied it to my day-to-day work. But I think a lot of my work was based very much on on on-the-ground questioning and on-the-ground curiosity. Because certainly, when I studied about pre-1949, pre-communist China, that provided certainly a basis for my day-to-day work. But that didn't talk to the aspirations of the Chinese in the 90s when I was working there, the aspirations to experience or to enjoy a Western lifestyle or to begin to explore Western products as they were then. So I would say it was very much a case that I really just had to begin to learn all over again what the Chinese consumer was looking for. I hope I'm answering the question because certainly my Chinese language skills came into play because when I was sitting in focus groups, there were translators there for those that didn't speak Chinese, but I was able to capture sort of that essence, if you will, of what they were really saying because I understood the language. But beyond that, it was just constantly a case of learning on the ground what the Chinese consumer really wanted based on what I had previously learned, if that makes sense. It does. And I feel like I've buried the lead because we should tell our listeners, Stephen, that you got your BA in Chinese language and literature 
at Washington University. And I think what I was getting at before is that I'm sure you had some colleagues who had no background whatsoever in China who were experts in advertising. But you came in and you were working your way up the totem pole, learning about the craft of advertising. But you came to the table with an understanding of the culture, of the history, and of the language. And so in many ways, you were the bridge. Yes, and absolutely. And it's funny because years later, we were doing a promotion when I was living in Singapore. I won't name the client, but there was a, a regional promotion going on for a very distinguished client. In one of the markets, it was in the Philippines, they were giving away rice cookers and fans, you know, room fans to keep mm -hmm. things cool. And the clients in New York had an absolute fit because they said that that didn't fit with their brand values. And we were arguing with them to say that, but in the Philippines, they eat rice and everyone gets hot. They need a fan. You got to go with this promotion because even for your high level business, that's what people are looking for. And that's what people want. And that instance always comes to mind whenever I think about sort of people in very senior marketing positions in other countries, not understanding what the situation is like on the ground. So we had a lot of bridge building to do, yes. <laughs> Stephen, for our young listeners who may want to get into marketing, into advertising, overseas. What advice do you have for them? Sure. Well, I'll go back to what I said earlier, and that is see if you can first study overseas by a fellowship, by a scholarship, just to get you in market, and then just start networking. Or what you can try and do certainly is try and get an internship somewhere in another country that will get you on the ground there. One of the things that I always recommend to young students, to young young alums, and I do a lot of work with young alums at Washington U, my alma mater, which you referenced, and I always tell them, go on LinkedIn and check out all the alums that are living in a particular country that you're interested in or in a particular city. If you're living in LA and you want to live in New York and you want to work in, whether it's advertising or broadcasting, whatever it is, just find alums that are living in those geographies and then just reach out to them. Chances are most of them will be amenable in speaking to you. And so that's what I always suggest. And also the other thing is for the listeners, they should reach out to their alumni organizations on campus because they are that's their job is to link alums or to link recent grads or soon to be grads with alums in other countries or in other regions or other cities, for example, here in the United States. So definitely, definitely use the alumni network. Absolutely. That is great advice. Yeah. So Stephen, as you've already foreshadowed, eventually you did move from China to Singapore. Yes. You were the regional Asia Pacific account director. One of your clients was Chevron Texaco. Another yes. was Citibank and then Ericsson Phones. And it was also during the same time that you started producing and hosting weekend radio programs on Singapore's leading adult contemporary radio station. And there is more. You were also producing and hosting Singapore Airlines in-flight entertainment for two channels for the music of the world and Latin Groove. So how did all of that start? <laughs> well, Andrea, now we're talking about my real passion. And now I will get very excited about that because it truly was just a wonderful, wonderful experience. I had always been interested in 
communications, as I said at the top. And I was always interested in broadcasting. That's why I did my internship at CNN during the summer between my two years of grad school. And I really put that whole communications, or I should say that whole broadcasting aspect to me on hold and on ice. And I had been listening to a jazz program in Singapore on the station was called Symphony 92 FM. They had a jazz program eight to midnight on Saturdays and Sundays. And I was saying to a friend of mine, I, geez, I'm a huge jazz fan. And I would love to be able to host that show. I had actually done radio when I was in high school. And I absolutely fell in love with the medium. And I said, I really want to host a show or I want to host that show. And she said, well, I know the program director. Why don't I put you in touch with her? So she put me in touch with the program director, again, talking about just utilizing connections and networking and so on. The program director said, yeah, well, we are looking to rotate a couple people on the show. And if you're interested, send us a demo. So I sent a demo and I was accepted. And so they started rotating me on Symphony 92 FM on the jazz show. What happened was then one of the other stations started a Latin channel, Gold 90 FM. And I told the program director that I spoke Spanish and I knew the music also. And can I host it? And they said yes. And that's what happened. So that's how I ended up hosting that show. And then from there, one of the DJs on also one of my fellow DJs on Gold 9 DFM was also producing and hosting a show on Singapore Airlines on Singapore in-flight. And he said they need someone to do the world channel, the world music channel. Would I do it? And I said, yeah, but I don't know so much about world music. He said, don't worry, I'll teach you. And so he gave me kind of a crash course and I did that show. And then Singapore Airlines uh, changed their programming grid and they started a Latin show. So they had me do the Latin show. And then from that, because I had a lot of listeners and, you know, I was kind of known there. I got gigs on movie, on television. I got emceeing gigs. I wrote for a newspaper there. I did all kinds of things. So it was a wonderful experience. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Incredible. And you and this was in a, addition to my day job. I was just going to say, this was your extracurricular. <laughs> it was. So I was working Monday through Friday, obviously, in my day job. And then the Latin show was on Saturdays and Sundays, 5 to 8 drive time. So there was a period I didn't have a day off. And then the show got shifted just to Sundays because they changed the programming grid, which was great for me because at least I had a day off. But it was a true labor of love. There were times where I was really sick as a dog, but I still went into the studio because I was committed to it. And it was just a labor of love for me. So around this same time, Stephen, because you had to pay the bills, (laughs) you became director of Action marketing and were assigned to build an agency division within Young and Rubicam specializing in event, guerrilla, and promotional marketing. What did that entail? It entailed everything that was really not mainstream traditional advertising. So everything that wasn't radio, TV, magazine, you know, newspaper, billboard, everything that wasn't that. It was media that was what we would call experiential or sponsorship related. So for example, you mentioned that Chevron Texaco was one of the clients that I was working on that the agency was managing actually. And so one of the big, big projects that I worked on was something called SingArt, S-A-N-G-A-R-T, A Brush with Lions. Some cities were known to have large animals that were 
painted, decorated by famous people, dot the cities. I think here in New York, they had cows, if I'm not mistaken. And some cities had, in China, they had panda bears. And well, Singapore had lions. So we had actually, for Chevron Texaco, developed a program. We worked in tandem with them, as well as with Singapore Tourism Board and also Raffles Hotel, the venerable hotel there, to create a program of life-size lions that were painted by well-known people in Singapore and a few international luminaries as well that dotted the city. So that was one experiential project that we worked on. There was a new season of a crime show, for example, that was on one of the local stations. And we did, do you know when someone gets shot and there's a chalk mark around the body? Okay. So we did chalk marks of bodies in front of major shopping malls promoting the new crime show. Okay, on one of the local channels. So we did things like that. There were certain international film festivals that we also did collateral materials for to help promote the film festival. So things like that, that weren't traditional media, but frankly, a lot of fun. So those were the kinds of things we did. And again, some of the principles go back to what I talked about earlier on with even just traditional media, understanding the client, understanding the brand values, understanding the budget, understanding what the objectives were, and then just working with the client to really recommend the best vehicles for what they were looking for and to achieve their objectives. The question after this is going to be about the one-way ticket show. Before we get to the one-way ticket show, I'm wondering, Stephen, how many of these various positions that you had within this one advertising firm were various people at the firm saying, let's promote Stephen here? And how many of them were you saying, this is a position that I want, and I want to move there? That is a great and interesting question, Andrea. And that's why you're the host of this show, because you (laughs) ask very, very good questions. And I'm going to have to think about that one, because can I just take a step back, though, and say something? Because you mentioned the number of years that I was with the agency. It's very rare that one person stays with an agency as long as I did. Having said that, though, there are a number of people that are with some agencies that are at those particular agencies for a really, really long time because they are given so many different opportunities and their experiences are so varied and so vast that even though it's the same name on the door, they're just given different opportunities. So it doesn't really matter where they are or what the name is on the door, if that makes sense. But in answer to your question, I would say, I mean, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, but the lion's share was we have a need for something in a particular market and Stephen has the skills for that. So let's move him there. And I will say there were a couple of times, though, where I did not agree to being moved there, if that makes sense. I had launched Colgate in Vietnam, as I mentioned, and the agency wanted me to stay in Vietnam. And at the time, I wanted to move back to the United States. And we were talking backwards and forwards. And they offered me then a position in Shanghai because we had just won the Pepsi foods business. So I launched Cheetos in China, which was a lot of fun. And so at the time I said, okay, but I'll stay in Shanghai for one year. And indeed I stayed for one year. And then I wanted to move to New York and I took a travel break just for a couple months. And the agency said, we have a job for you. I said, wow. So it's in New York. They said, no, it's in Singapore. I said, what part of New York don't you understand? I want to move to New York. And I was going to stay in Singapore for a year or two. And again, at that point I stayed for eight years. And then finally I drew the line in the stand and ultimately moved to New York. So I would say that most of it was, there was a need. I filled the need. There were a few times where I didn't 
want to move where they wanted me to move. And there were a few times where I reluctantly moved, but it all worked out in the end. Well, the reason that I wanted to ask is that I think in many instances, when I was at CNN, I was there for 14 years, the positions were offered to me. I did not proactively say, I want that position. Let me go for that. Other than when I was initially hired, I wanted to be a foreign correspondent. I wanted to go to China. They said, we don't have a position open right now in China. We do have one in Japan. If you go there, when there is a position open in China, we will move you there. And they were good on their word. I'm actually thinking though, and I hope to empower young people to say you can be more in the driver's seat of your own careers. And as you identify maybe gaps in your skill sets, you can perhaps look within the firm that you're at or outside that firm to say, where can I go to fill that gap? And your last job, Stephen, I'm not sure. And frankly, it doesn't even matter if you wanted it or not. But the fact that you then filled that non-traditional marketing gap in your portfolio, I am guessing today is incredibly useful as the executive producer and host of the One Way Ticket Show, because you know how to be scrappy. Yeah. And you have to figure out everything for yourself. I have to tell you, Andrea, I'm the most untechnical person around. And whenever anything would go wrong with my iPhone, with my laptop, I would call our IT manager. Well, when you're no longer working for a large agency, you become your own IT manager. I've had to learn it myself. And that's why it makes you such a valuable individual. I mean, in totality. And fortunately, I live, you know, I'm here in New York City and I live really a stone's throw away from the Apple store. I have had times where I haven't even shut down my laptop and I have gone down in the elevator and I have walked with my laptop to the Apple store and I plunk it on the table and I say, what do I do now? (laughs) And they explain what I have to do now. And so, you know, you just have to figure it out yourself. And you're absolutely right is that when you're on your own, you really become a much more valuable individual because again, you just have to figure it out. And you have to be more resourceful. So tell us about this incredible show in which you interview artists, actors, singers, humanitarians, diplomats, journalists, just all around amazing people. And Java Junkies for sure need to check out your website. Go to the one way ticket show. It's all one word dot com and see the scrapbook that Stephen has created with the photographs that he's taken with his incredible guests and check out the destinations tab of the most popular places. And we should say that the destination can be in the past, present, future, real imaginary or state of mind. So while someone might want to go to Bhutan or Paris, I had one guest recently this last year who wanted a one-way ticket to be a confectioner in the kitchens of Sultan Suleiman the Magnificent to the height of the Ottoman Empire. So how do you like that one? Oh, my goodness. Do you remember what that person's real profession is? Oh, sure. Yeah, she's Jennifer Abadi, and she's a very well-known Mideast food specialist. Of course. And she's a chef. And and we had the most wonderful conversation then about the foods during the Ottoman Empire and what cuisine was like then and what foods have lasted since that time. And also the role of women then during the Ottoman Empire. And would there even have been a woman chef in the kitchen? So we had a wonderful conversation because I explore with my guests why they want the destination, what they would do there, what they would take with them. 
who they would take with them, who would they want to meet, what would they hope to get out of the experience and so forth. And we should tell our listeners there's going to be one guest that I'm going to be having on very soon. Her name is Andrea Koppel. They may have heard of her. And so she's going to be on in 2019. Yes, but not until I have figured out where I would want to go because the key piece is it's one way. You're not no coming, coming back. back. But it can be also a state of mind. I appreciate that loophole. <laughs> yes, because not everybody wants to go back to the Ottoman Empire, you know, or to the futures. Many people want to go and be shot off into space or they want to go to Mars but I'm not ready to go that far. Well, yeah. at least I don't want a one-way ticket to Mars. I don't mind going, but I do want to come back. Not until they've worked out the kind of atmospheric piece, right? Absolutely. But I'm very curious as to what Mars looks like, I should say. I have to imagine that this has opened the world for you in a way that perhaps you didn't even imagine it would. Andrea, I have learned so much, not just about the technical aspects, as we were talking just a moment ago, but I have learned so much about, you name it, history and science and just creativity. And it's been so inspiring for me to speak with very high achieving guests. And these are real deal people. And to be able to sit across the table from them and to have life lessons from them has just been such a wonderful, wonderful gift for me. It's opened the doors to so much knowledge that it's just been, I feel like I can get a second degree after this. Speaking of second degrees, and let's talk about your first degree in a minute, actually not the degree you got in college, but the one that you learned through the School of Hard Knocks, mm. working in advertising, how much are you drawing upon the expertise that you have in advertising, marketing, and communications for your podcast? A lot, because we used to deal with clients on a daily basis. And while I'm not dealing with clients now, I very much consider my guests as clients. Now, I should say that many of my guests, a wonderful byproduct is many of them have become friends. So that's been great. But I deal with them as a client because just like I would want my clients to look good in the communication that I was creating for them, I want my guests to look good in the end product that I'm creating for them also in terms of the interview. So as much as I can do to make them look good and to promote them in a positive light, that was a big lesson for me. I think the way that I also communicate with them is also a lesson that I'm drawing on. And just generally speaking, just the whole marketing of the show and what needs to be done. And because I am a one-man band, it's a rather daunting experience, as you know, because you're doing a podcast yourself and a very successful one at that. And so you know the demands when it comes to marketing and the proper way of marketing something. So I know what I need to do, but it's having the time and the bandwidth to be able to do everything. Oh my goodness. Amen, brother. Let me just yeah. say that right across the audio airways right now. I'm high-fiving you. <laughs> yes. So Stephen, I want to flash back to when you were an undergrad at Washington University in St. Louis. Yes. Why did you want to major in Chinese language and literature? And did you know what you were going to do with that degree when you graduated? <laughs> Well, I had wanted to study Chinese since I was a kid because you may remember when Nixon went to China. I know you, of course, know about that. I was absolutely fascinated by that. And I still remember that momentous historic event. And I remember all of the reporters that were going to China at that time and coming back with reports about China and how just fascinating it was. It was like it was a totally different planet, really. And I knew then that I wanted to study Chinese. And that was it. 
And so I wanted to select a university that had a Chinese department and that was strong in other departments. And that's why I went to WashU. And I remember day one, freshman year, sitting in my Chinese class and the professor, whom I'm still in touch with, actually started writing, you know, characters on the board. And I thought, holy smokes, how am I ever going to remember this? How am I ever going to study this? But I just soldiered through and like you, actually, you just do it. And so I always knew that I wanted to study Chinese. I knew that I wanted to have a China-focused career. And I knew that I probably wanted it to be in either the foreign service or in communications. But I didn't exactly know what that was going to look like. And that's why I have to give you such a big shout out, Andrea, for doing your podcast, because you're opening up the door to so many students and new grads about what the possibilities are for them. Because as you know, back in the day, we didn't have resources like this. When you said that you were studying Chinese, people thought you had three heads or were building a spaceship in your garage. I mean, it wasn't a common thing. And so we didn't have a lot of people to turn to. So that's why I have to say, again, that what you're doing is fantastic because it's a resource. We didn't have those resources. And I don't know if you're familiar with the Chinese expression, which means you cross the river by feeling the stones. Yes. And I think I very much had to probably like you cross the river by feeling the stones. All of us did that. Yes, absolutely. My favorite Chinese cheng yu, which is what Stephen just said there, is shuo cao 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 jiu dao la. Oh, I haven't heard that in a long time. <laughs> that speak of the devil. I speak of the devil. I, I just heard love that, that one. I forget yes. so many of the cheng yus, but that one has too. stuck in my head. So, Stephen, I want to just pivot to a question that I try to ask all time for coffee guests. Sure. And that is, a time in your professional life when you struggled. And I'm going to be very direct here since you already alluded to it at the outset of our conversation. And that was when you were let go by Young and Rubicam. I have to imagine it was devastating after 26 years to be told, you know, I'm sorry, but we're not keeping you. And I'm projecting a bit because I wasn't renewed in my firm when I worked for CNN for 14 years. And it was devastating to me. How did you deal with that, Stephen? What advice would you have to offer our young listeners about life's many twists and turns? Exactly what you said is that life will have twists and turns, but it's how you pick yourself up and move on. When I was told, it was actually a bit of an out-of-body experience. I don't know what your experience was like at CNN, but I had a bit of an out-of-body experience. And there was a budget cut and things happened. And I left on wonderful terms. And I'm still friends with many people there. And I looked at it really as I had a wonderful run. And now it's time for a new chapter. So I put a bit of a positive spin on it. And funny enough, I remember being told on a Friday, of course, because you're always told on a Friday, Friday afternoon. And I remember not telling anybody for probably maybe a little less than a week because I wanted it just to be with me and I wanted it to sort of sink in with me. And when I started to tell people, people have a look on their face like, oh, they're so sorry and this and that. And I said, don't worry about it. It was a great run. It was a great chapter. And now it's time to really do something else. And I had started my podcast while I was working at YNR, Young Rubicam. And so this was a time that I can focus on that. I could focus on my family and focus on some other things. And so it was perfectly fine. So I actually had, I don't want to say a positive experience out of it because I don't know if getting laid off is ever positive, but things will happen in life. 
And you just have to pick yourself up and you just have to figure out, okay, now what do we do? Absolutely. And I would say my personal experience, I felt a tremendous loss of face, which anyone who has lived in Asia can appreciate the embarrassment when you lose face. And it was somewhat public, even though I was trying to spin things publicly saying, oh, we just didn't have a meeting of the minds about the next step for me at CNN. And it really wasn't until years later. Stephen, that I came to see for myself that it had been such a blessing in disguise that I didn't have the courage myself to pull the cord, but that I had been miserable at CNN for a few years ever since my son had been born and my son was then three and a half. And I really hadn't been enjoying the job, but didn't have the headspace or the courage to figure out what my next step would be. So they did me a tremendous favor by forcing me to get out there and start reinventing myself and figuring things out. And the same thing will happen to all of our listeners. Absolutely. And I must say, Andrea, because mine wasn't a public laying off, whereas you were on TV. And so when Andrea isn't on CNN anymore, it's where is Andrea? And that's a totally different dynamic. So you actually had it, dare I say, quite bad in the sense that anytime someone in the public eye gets laid off, it's a very public piece of news. Whereas when I got laid off, it was only my community that knows about it, if you will. I don't have people all over the world knowing about it. So I can't imagine what that must have been like, certainly for you. And again, you're right. Sometimes it is very much of a black in disguise. And sometimes we are afraid to cut the cord beforehand until the cord is cut for us. And sometimes it is a blessing in disguise. I have to say again, it was a gift that was given to me. And I am really grateful that it happened when it did. Final time for coffee questions, Stephen. Sure. If you could go back to college, back to wash you and do it all over again, (laughs) but based on the wisdom you have now, what advice would you give yourself? How much time do we have, Andrea? Because I give myself a lot of advice. Honestly, the first piece of advice that I would give myself is don't worry because it will all work out. I think I did just worry too much in college about my grades and what am I going to do afterwards and am I going to achieve all my goals and everything else. So I think the first thing is don't worry so much. The second thing is I probably would have networked more in the professional space than I did. And again, as we said just a moment ago, no one was doing anything really China related. So that was very difficult. Having said that, though, I wish that I had networked in the television, the broadcasting space or in the diplomatic space to get a greater understanding about what those two zones were like. So those would probably be the two big things that I wish that I could change if I did go back. Again, just more networking. And then the other thing is not worrying so much. Fantastic. And again, solidarity through the airways. I completely fell into the same category. And I think that's why for our young listeners, there are many, many benefits to getting older. There really are. We tend to look at youth as being this phenomenal time, but the stresses and the angst and the unknowns and all of that, we know way on you. We are here to tell you, you will figure it out. And it's absolutely, you are not the odd man or the odd woman out. You are in the middle of the pack there. And we have been there. 
and you too will look back on your life and hopefully breathe a big sigh of relief because you listened to Time for Coffee and you listened to the One Way Ticket Show and you gained from the wisdom of all of the guests that we've been able to bring to you. Stephen, I want to send you a huge shout out. Thank you for making Time for Coffee today with me and the Time for Coffee community today. You are such a mensch. Thank you. you. have a fantastic show. I have to say the One Way Ticket Show. I have not listened to your other show. Israel Cast, right? Israel Cast. But I highly recommend for sure the host of both of these shows because you got a sense of Stephen's personality, of how down to earth he is, how thoughtful he is. You are going to gain so much from listening to these programs. And I am just so grateful to you, Stephen, that you were able to squeeze me into what I know is an incredibly busy production schedule. Andrea, I have to thank you, really. That was so incredibly kind of you because, I, again, I want to give you a shout out for what you're doing because you're doing such a great benefit to so many countless people out there. And I don't think just people that are in college or are newly graduated, but also those that are even mid-career folks because everyone's always looking for career advice and people aren't staying in the same careers anymore for the rest of their lives. So really, congratulations to you on a terrific, terrific show. And really, I thank you for having me on the show. This has been great fun. Thanks so much for listening to Time for Coffee, where the professionals in the jobs that most interest you always have time to grab coffee 24-7, no matter where you live. I have one quick favor to ask you. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Time for Coffee. Thanks so much.